when people ask me what Boulder is like, I tell them the same story. It's the first thing I was ever invited to in Boulder. Okay. Um, it was someone from my department. She was really nice. She was like one of the admin ladies. She's like, listen, like my family, they like to play the marimbas. And I don't know if you know what the marimbas are, but like they're just, you know, it's an ethnic instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's from Africa. <coughs> Uh, I don't know what where what country it's origin. I just know brown people play that typically. But, you know, I didn't think much of it. You know, my dad, he plays the xylophone. He plays, like, the vibes and stuff. And so I'm used to this type of instrument, like a mallet instrument. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, I guess, you know, whatever. She's like, yeah, come. They have, there's this performance at this hotel downtown. Da, da, da. Okay, so I go. It's like a summer day. And, um, this, I walk in and like on the patio, it's this big patio and it's full of people. Of course, all of them are white. And then there's this little stage up there. It's covered and there's like a little dance floor by this little fountain. And I walk in and I'm just like, oh my God, I stick out like a sore thumb here. This is really awkward. I'll just walk over or whatever. I'm looking for the my white people who invited me and I'm like, <laughs> I can't tell where they are here. But then when I look up on stage, I see like people playing the marimbas, right? These big marimbas, you have to like multiple people on one. Mm-hmm. And they're all white. And they're dressed in daishikis. Oh, no. Like, full daishiki pants, garb, little kofi hats. Like, all of them. Okay? And, like, are just playing with smiles. There's white people dancing all offbeat in the corner. And then there's, like, (laughs) people having dinner and drinks and enjoying it. And I walk in and everyone's staring at me as I walk in. And I'm just like... Right, like, you're the one that's weird. (laughs) I was like... I have just walked into a whole different universe. Like, what is this? What is this? The only other black person there is this man with his white wife and, like, brown children. And I'm just like... (sighs) Welp. I need to get up out of here. I was like, I need to find an exit from this situation. This is so awkward. Like, no. Mm Mm-mm. I and that was your first like that was activity my first in ever invited to activity that I had in Boulder. <laughs> How long had you been here by that point? I'd say three weeks. My start to Boulder was kind of rocky. Like I came to Boulder. Hey Chingonas, Leah here. This is the Chingona podcast, and if you don't know what I do here. I interview women and queer people and non-binary individuals who inspire with their heart and their hustle. Today, we're going to hear from Simone Hyder Adams, who is a woman that honestly inspires me to match her hustle every single day. Simone recently graduated with her PhD from the University of Colorado at Boulder. She's a physicist, an artist, She's a woman of color, an activist. She used to work for NASA. She's met Obama. Like, the girl's got all the greatest hits. And funny story, Simone and I met through her friend, Brittany. Hi, Brittany. And Brittany was my Lyft driver. The reason I had to call a Lyft that day was because I locked my keys in the trunk of my car. And... The reason I locked my keys in the trunk of my car was because I was distracted by the fact that my flight for the next morning was canceled. And so when I got into Brittany's lift that day, I was not feeling too hot. And I got to talking to Brittany and she was like, you know, asking me about myself. And I told her about my podcast and she was like, oh, I I have this friend named Simone. She's a physicist and she does all these really cool things. You should you should interview her. And, well, that's why we're here today. (laughs) Anyway, the short of it is, sometimes great things can come out of bad days. Had I not been distracted about my flight getting canceled, I wouldn't have locked my keys in my car, I wouldn't have had to call a lift, I wouldn't have met Brittany, and I wouldn't have been introduced to Simone. Funny how life works out like that. Here's more from Simone. 
I all of my identities are black and woman and educator and researcher and performer and artist. Mm-hmm. All those things. You contain multitudes. Yes. Yes. All the things. <laughs> um, and so you were telling me last time that we spoke that moving here, coming from a predominantly diverse area, a black area, to Boulder, which is arguably the whitest area in the country, <laughs> um, it kind of caused you to... I guess, change your route in, like, what you were going to take on for your thesis or your master's? Yeah, yeah. So, it was quite an adventure. I'd say in Boulder, I was really skeptical of Colorado from the beginning, but I didn't really understand why or what the issue I had with this place could even be until I arrived here. I'd say I grew up with parents who were pretty conscious. Like they were like, my mom was like, did diversity work, but like in banking, right? Like she, um, and most of my childhood, I would help her do things like this. That was like, um, you know, a lot of her consulting gigs, I would like be her assistant on or something. So I'd say I've been fairly a well like a racially conscious family but I don't even think I truly understood I would say I don't know I didn't know I was black till I came here I didn't know what that meant I'd say that all the time because it's truly how it feels um being at Hampton it was not something I thought about all the time and shockingly I didn't get much like critical studies like when I was at Hampton I was in the physics department did a lot of physics stuff Mm -hmm. I took a bit of theater but there was no one that really taught me about like the systems in society and like the systems of oppression and like institutional like racism or like misogyny. There was no one teaching me that mm-hmm. at Hampton. I learned that when I came here to see you. So the whitest place I've ever been. <laughs> Simone is referring to Hampton University in Virginia. This is where she completed the first leg of her education. And a little background. Hampton is an HBCU, which means Historically Black College and University. HBCUs refer to any historically black colleges established prior to the Civil Rights Act of 1965, when school segregation became illegal. When I got here, I just remember thinking everyone's nice, but somehow I'm uncomfortable everywhere. And it took me like years to start unpacking why. (laughs) And so I took my first ethnic studies class in my first year at CU and it was like race and citizenship in U.S. history and it was like the first time I'd ever learned about race from a critical perspective in a classroom ever mm-hmm. and my mom was like Pfft. I was like what <laughs> oh my gosh so this is why I feel so oppressed like you know like oh I thought this was just life okay it is but like you know yeah um So when I got here, I was interested in just the specifically like, um, how can I do performance in physics? You know, I've always been a performance artist my whole life and arguably I've always been a scientist. I just didn't know it. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I realized that in pursuing science and, uh, undergrad, that I, I still needed to do something artistic. Like, I couldn't not. I would always go back to the arts in some form or fashion. I say performance art because I do it all. Mm-hmm. I act, I sing, I dance, I play music, I, like, do spoken word. I do all those things. Whenever, whatever I can dabble in, I like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, even performance down to, like, sports. I play sports. Um And so, like, I just really highly consider myself a performer of all types. And I think that was something I had to come to the conclusion of as I've gone throughout my studies, um, that that was an important part of who I was. And so when I realized that I needed both of those things is how I pursued this interdisciplinary degree. So I was like, if I could figure out how to do... I was pretty done with physics after undergrad. (laughs) I was like, I don't know if I can do this forever. I don't know. Um... But I saw the opportunity to make it something I could do and like to do if I put it together with this other thing I love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how I came into my grad program. But then when I got here, it was like me learning about my blackness crash course in like a year. Like 
it was like being around all these white people and like Ferguson happening and like Mike Brown's shooting. Like I, first thing I did on campus was go to a vigil here for like his shooting. And I'm, I'm seeing all these like white happy people who just don't care about anything and can ignore all the things happening in the world. And I'm over here like scared to go babysit for these people because I have to walk through their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I was feeling like, really 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 very 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 heavily how my blackness was impacting my life and it was for the first time ever like my parents did a really intentional job and good job of like making it so that I did not have to think about my blackness first for like most of my childhood I'd say Mm -hmm. not saying I didn't know I think they they did a good job of making me proud of it I think too but like it was not a thing that was constantly on my mind as like, oh, is someone interacting with me this way because I am black? Mm-hmm. And here, that was every every day. Every day I had to think about that. And it was just new. <laughs> I just did not know what to do. I was like frustrated. I was angry at my parents. I was like angry at myself for being so naive. I was yeah. like going through all of these emotions. When I was in this class, I was like, oh my God, like this is a bigger problem than I could have ever thought of and conceptualized. And it kind of charged me up because I was angry. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do I do now? And how can I make my studies feel meaningful in this area? And so the racial identity parts of my work came up in that same semester I was taking that class. And I was like really, yeah, really determined to like make my work some type of um, have some type of social justice orientation in, in any way. Like I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be something that I could be proud of. And that was, or, and that was trying to make things better for black physicists like me. Like, yeah. Yeah. So what, what is the, did you end up doing? What is your work? Yeah, I can. Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> um, so my work ended up being, um, uh, I the work that ended up being in my dissertation is kind of threefold. Uh, the first um, part of it was all about this framework uh, for identity, and um, and they mean I and it's for physics identity, which they kind of talk about as identifying as a physicist, as a physics person. It is kind of this identity, right? Like there's, when you think of who a physicist is, many people go to a very particular type of person. Mm -hmm. And it's very complex when people are in the physics field, whether they would call themselves a physicist or not. It's actually a really internally coveted like label in a weird Mm -hmm. way. And so we talk about it in education research side of things about, um, we talk about like, physics identity in order to explain like how we have this collective identity as people who are physicists um and so when i started learning about this framework i was like hmm like seems like this is not considering how like race for instance could impact the way people actually think about themselves how can we make a framework that actually can take this into consideration Mm -hmm. and so that's where i started and i looked for another framework um actually that people or or that came out of math education um that actually talked about identity in the terms of resources and like how resources can impact the way you think of yourself as either they talk about in math uh, how you think of yourself as a math person Mm -hmm. um uh or a math learner um but i kind of picked it up and tried to apply it to physics um which is not too different from math Mm -hmm. um And so the resources are in three buckets, material, relational, and ideational. Um, And so what I did with this framework was put it together with the physics identity constructs, which were like recognition as a physicist, interest in physics, Mm -hmm. and then your competence, your your ability to understand physics, and then your ability to perform the tasks required to like do physics. So that one's performance. So... There's four of those, and then there's the three resources, and I put them together and tried to use them in qualitative research to start talking about identity um, and elucidating some of the patterns and some of the external factors that influence why people can or cannot see themselves as physicists. So you're saying that you spoke to actual, like, 
people who are physicists who don't fit the when I think of a physicist I think of either like a white man or an Asian man Mm -hmm. and that people who don't fit that demographic they actually feel like they kind of this imposter syndrome that they that they don't they're not part of that group even though they've done the research they have the degrees and they've done that's crazy (laughs) yeah no it's so I interviewed many black physicists from all levels so like I had I'd interviewed people or who were like juniors and seniors and undergrad doing physics degrees to grad students, to postdocs, people who have PhDs, to up to professors and a dean was in my sample. Every single person said, nah, I don't, I kind of don't feel like a physicist. I am, but I'm not. And like, you're a dean of a physicist. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. kind of insane. <laughs> yeah. Um. And yeah, it is, it's deep. I mean, who, when identifying as a physicist is hard. Mm-hmm. It is something that is, not even attainable to the people who are practicing physics. So imagine trying to convince a person or a child, for instance, that they can attain such an identity. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of this was kind of trying to bridge this idea of, oh, like imposter syndrome or stereotype threat or things that people are understanding more now as like, experiences people of color have in the academy Mm -hmm. to like more concrete like parts of the system or parts of the institution that will influence someone into that like Mm -hmm. when I do these interviews I ask people about their stories like tell me how you became a physicist like did you always want to be a physicist what got you into it like I ask about like what the the struggles they might have if they do identify or if they don't and why or why not. Mm-hmm. Um, I ask them to tell me stories about their life so that I can then go back and use this framework and I code all of the things that impacted these stories of things that have happened to them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking at the materials resources that were available or not or the relationships that were encouraging or discouraging or like the ideational resources, like these ideas that they have and who is who is creating these ideas or where are they coming from? Mm -hmm. You know, are they getting recognition from some of these relationships or material resources? Are they believing in their own competence and performance um, as a physicist? Like, Mm -hmm. is that coming from the material resources that coming from their own personal, something internal, you know? And so I look through these stories and I basically code to try and tell a broader story about what are these factors that are influencing how these people identify And so, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, most of the people, I mean, there's an, like, there's a a universal idea of who a physicist is. Like, you said it. Like, the white, male, logical, nerdy, Mm -hmm. curious. I actually ask this question whenever I give a talk to physicists. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, it's always the same. I literally have the words, like, free on my slide. And, like, I ask people (laughs) to call it out. And then I pop up and all the words they said are on the slide. And I'm like... We know who a physicist is. We, when we say physicist, it's not me. <laughs> you don't think Simone Hyder Adam. Like, that's not what you think. Um, you think of a very particular person, and that matters. Like, that is actually a thing that makes people think that they cannot be in the field. And when you combine that with trying to take classes and people feeling like you can't do something in a class because of who you are, we know that biases are happening in these unconscious, quote-unquote, ways, mm-hmm. right? Um, where literally the person who was a dean in my sample told me a story about how they opted to take calculus-based, excuse me, physics in undergrad, and their academic advisor was like, you won't be able to do that. No reason to think that. Mm -hmm. No reason to believe that. They're just like, you are unable to do that, so you should actually take the algebra-based course, if anything. Mm Mm-hmm. And they had to forge the advisor's signature (laughs) to take the class, took the class, and got an A. Yeah. You know? So it's like one small thing in the system is telling, like, these things are telling people. And the only way you can get through that is if you have a lot of personal, like, stuff within you that is pushing back and believing, no, like, I won't. Like, this is a person who's like, I'm going to prove you wrong, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're not that kind of person, right, right? like, you're going to be like, okay, guess I can't, like, and leave. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, yeah, there's countless stories of, like, people who have told these people they couldn't do it or, like, tests. Like, I think one of the people who I talked to, there was, they had 
great performance in their physics courses in high school, but the one statistic, like the standardized test that they had to take, they didn't get a high enough score on it to go do it in college Mm -hmm. and had to have their physics teacher advocate for them in order to get into a class in college for physics or be able to pursue it in college. Um, And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that, that block people out. Um, And even when you persist through, it's because people are persisting through despite, (laughs) yeah, despite all of the things that are telling them they can't belong. And yeah, I mean, another common experience where things like in class, um, not having like people not wanting to work in groups with them. Mm. Um, a group work is actually a big kind of pattern of struggle for people of color in physics. Um, cause connecting with your peers is difficult. Like, um, if you're a, not used to being around a whole bunch of weird white folks <laughs> and then you have to come into this class and you're already feeling like maybe you're not the best right at this. Or even if you do feel really confident, right. Other people are assuming you're not that good. Right. And so yeah, group, group project and group work. Um, also is a pattern of experience having difficulties connecting with your peers um, they all talk about oh, I think one person talked about their people assuming they only got to where they're at because they're black that pattern which is pretty common like oh you're only here because you're black you know somehow white men have been convinced that it's us who have all the opportunities <laughs> in the world regardless of all the white men who run everything <laughs> Besides white people being the default. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know how we got there, but, you know, whatever floats your boat. Some other patterns Simone found with the people in her study was that everyone had some sort of mentor or role model that was important to their success. Someone that cheered them on along the way. And also that they had different types of support systems, which included communities outside of physics. Usually a community in the arts of some kind. Now, the sample size for Simone's research was 11 individuals, so it's not a huge pool, but if she could find 11 people who shared similar experiences, I can guarantee there are more people out there. She just didn't get a chance to interview them. The, the fact that those the one, people that you interviewed all had support systems is fantastic, but it makes you wonder, like, what about everybody else who didn't? Yeah. Like, there could have been thousands of other black women physicists that were deterred at some point in their life and now mm. they're doing something that they're not passionate about and they're not, you know. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's really tricky because as a person, I really would love to advocate for more black folks to come into the physics field, but I myself know how unhealthy I feel like it is to be in this field. It's hard to be like, oh, come, do this. And also, <laughs> you, you got to figure out how to be happy while doing it. Like... <laughs> Go on your own journey. Um, But it's like, at the same time, like, there's there's potential and there's possibility. And there's people who are so into the science and so into the lab who are also black and want to be in that environment. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a lot of people who aren't. (laughs) And there's, I mean, there's a lot of cultural disconnect in the ways that we see work, honestly, in America as a whole. But in the academy and in research and in science, it's kind of like that... Uh, oh, you have to be working all the time in the lab. If you're not in the lab, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, if you, you know, have family or something, like, you need to chill on that for now until you get to a point. Like, that comes second, right? But in many cultures of people of color, right, and the people of the global majority, which is my new term, <laughs> that's not the case. Like, family values are important. Being around your family is an important part of life. Like, Yeah, no, it keeps you sane. (laughs) Like, you know, connecting with those people who know you, like, more than anyone else is important. Like, having time to yourself, self-health, mental health, like, going to have a life outside of your career, like, important. Like, for anyone, honestly, not even just, like, folks of color, but there's just so many disconnects between the way that we work um, in the academy and, like, a healthy life for me. At mm-hmm. least what I see as a healthy life. Yeah. And I think that could be really... I think that is a, a, a pattern. Like, I know I'm not alone in that. Um, yeah. Which is why you wanted to go into the, like, right. balancing studying physics and science with 
mm-hmm. performance and performing arts. Which yeah. Makes complete sense. Thanks. It just <laughs> I think it does. You know? I, I think we, we talked about it a bit at the coffee shop, but like so often like when we're young we're told that we have to be one or the other mm-hmm. of something. You know, you're a right brain or a left brain, mm-hmm. this or that. And you're showing that you can do both. You can yeah. be a person that likes science and that person that likes literature and that likes mm-hmm. dance and likes doing math. Like it's, mm-hmm. and, and that's like, it's a small thing, but it's impactful because even me, like right now in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh God, physics, I could never, like I suck at math. I, whatever, like I'm into writing and I'm this or that, but it's like, no, like I'm sure if I applied myself and I really loved it, like I could do it. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when people say, oh, you do physics, you must be smart. It's like, ugh, like I hate that statement. It's like, no, I worked really hard. And this particular thing was a little bit easier for me to grasp because I also don't understand poetry. Like they told me, I, I wrote, I write spoken word. I write poetry. Poetry and I like it my way but in the academic sense I don't know what you're talking about I don't understand how you can grade me on my analysis of a poem like it's supposed to be how I take it how you grade me on my opinion I don't get it I don't get it like I don't understand so like that's your cup of tea my cup of tea is like a thing that feels more concrete that's just me I'm a logical thinker mm-hmm. and so it makes it easier but also that also can make a lot of artsy things easier too being a logical thinker and it's I think a shame that we pull them apart and act like they're so different. Mm -hmm. I think we should see them as different perspectives on the same thing. That's how I see it, right? Like, exploring the world is what they're both about, you know? And, like, exploring the world and how it matters and how you interact with it as yourself. And that is the point of both of these things. And Mm -hmm. I think they're so much more related than we ever think about. Simone grew up in an artsy household. Both of her parents are musicians. They actually met in a music school. Her dad is a percussionist and Air Force veteran. Her mom is a writer, guitarist, and activist. Simone said she grew up listening to her dad's rehearsals at night after he spent his days as a real estate appraiser. She watched her mom do diversity work in the corporate world and then start her own consulting firm for organizational change. We were going to music stuff all the time. We'd always go to, like, the free jazz concerts at the park or something. And, like, every weekend, like, my mom also liked the outdoors. So she would force us to be outside all the time (laughs) and go hiking and stuff. And so, yeah, I was definitely around a lot of that. My parents were very shocked when I told them I wanted to do physics. (laughs) I was pretty committed to, like, going to school for theater my junior year of high school. Like, by... By the beginning of that, I was like, yep, I know I'm trying to do that. So what what was that light that switched for you? Um, I So I took my first physics class. Like, I, I've been learning physics, obviously. Mm-hmm. Everyone, it's in the curriculum throughout K-12, but they don't call it physics. Right, yeah. Um, it's just science. Yeah, they don't use science. So... Um, when I started learning about the disciplines of sciences in high school, and so bio was like freshman year. I hate bio. I do not like it. <laughs> I do not understand people who like that. I'm like, Mm-mm. people think that's better than physics, and I'm like, <laughs> to whom? But um, I went to chemistry, and I was like, oh, I liked chemistry because I always loved like mixing together chemicals and yeah. like seeing what happened. I used to do that when I was little, and my tea sets were really just little experiments. I did not use them. <laughs> I don't think I used my tea sets for tea ever. I think it was always just for science. Yeah. Um, uh, but I've always been really curious about the world. I mean, I used to look up at the sky at night and like stare into the stars and be like, we are just so tiny. It's so big out there. Like so much and like just think about that at night like what child (laughs) right (laughs) what child does that and it was just a regular thing every single night yeah and I got into physics and I was just like so fascinated with the ability to like do math that explains the world like the fact that I could like do a math equation and tell you at what time that ball is going to hit the ground, I was like, this is magic. Like, this is crazy. Like, you can do this? I was like, what? Like, that was so mind-blowing to me. And so I was, like, really excited. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. I I enjoy this. (laughs) And so my junior year, I took physics. And then I was like, I'm taking the AP one. And so I took AP physics my 
senior year and I was like this is it this is what I'm gonna do but it is like I've never thought of it that way it is kind of like magic and yeah you're just like maybe if it was presented to kids like that maybe mm-hmm. more people would be interested in it but yeah that's an awesome way of thinking about it oh my gosh it was I just remember being so I'm like you are telling me that <laughs> we're about to, to predict this and it's gonna be true I'm like that is so crazy I was I just was so like mind blown about that I just can't even I'm like I don't understand how anyone else couldn't find that crazy like I'm like <laughs> people try to come at physics all the time but everyone does this particular experiment I'm talking about every single person who's ever taken a physics course or lab will do this and no one thinks it's as cool as I thought it was <sighs> that makes me think of there's like a quote that I heard on a podcast it was about this guy that was like trying to get over a breakup and he was talking about time and whatever and he's like and then I realized I'm am time traveling I'm just doing it at 60 minutes an hour yeah like oh my god everything's time travel that's how I feel (laughs) right now (laughs) yo seriously seriously that's how it is for real and yes everything actually is time travel and that (laughs) is wild and I just think the it's a shame that like physics is created and run and operated in ways that like forces people to not even think they can understand it i'm like you do understand you do physics every day Mm -hmm. if you're driving a car and you don't crash even when you crash you're doing (laughs) physics like i remember being so amazed at being able to calculate how fast a car could go around a curve on the highway like you know everyone just takes those little exits right Mm -hmm. So I learned this just in my knowledge now that the speed limits are super below the actual maximum you can go around these curves. Why? Because the number one rule of physics is people are dumb, which is kind of pretentious (laughs) and the problem with the field. But that was the first thing they taught us in this class. And so, yeah, like they tell you to go like 35 around these curves. You could probably hit 60 depending on what car you're in and be fine. And like it would be crazy, but it would work. Um, and so learning about like just friction and how all these forces are keeping us where we're at and just understanding all of that mm-hmm. was crazy to me. I was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. I can just do this. Let me just do more of this. Yeah. And so I decided to go to college for it. My mom was like, physics? She was like, why? <laughs> why do you want to do that? And I was like, it explains everything, mom. And she's like, okay, all right. Well, you know, I don't know shit about physics, but, you know, I'm going to go ahead and support you how I can, <laughs> I guess. like, Which it is was... good parenting. Right, yes. I was, I, every day I realize how blessed I am to have my parents because, wow, they have been the best so what in your undergrad caused you to go from physics is magic to fuck this? <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I just say they like beat my love for physics out of me. I feel like it does that for most people. I think that excitement of like exploring the world becomes more abstract and less obvious. That's one thing. I think the methods of teaching are just bad. Mm. I mean, the lecture style is just not productive for most people and absolutely is not productive for me um, as a learner. Mm -hmm. And so when you're thinking about these complex, like, mathematical systems that you're trying to teach people, it's like just saying the things is not going to help someone understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was, like, a very big flaw. Like, I felt like when I was feeling dumb and, like, I couldn't understand, I stopped being as motivated to learn. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of, like, my upper division classes with me just, like, not actually learning, but just trying to figure out how to do what's necessary to get through the class, Mm -hmm. which is not fun. The reason why I was excited about physics is because I felt like I was learning about how to move through the world or see the world in this different way. And I still got a little bit of that from my undergrad, but it definitely wasn't as exciting as it could have been. And I think it was because of the ways we teach it and the Mm -hmm. ways that we expect people to learn it. And so, like, kind of hearing that, hearing your story of how you kind of got to this point and make, I keep, like, tracking, like, this was, could have been a stopping point. This could have been a stopping Mm -hmm. point for you. And had you not had those motivators and... And the people supporting you, you could have been something 
entirely different than yeah. how you are now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had, I went to a school where my quantum pro- physics professor, where I totally, like, I by far was, I think, the person who got the most of it in all of my classes. And I feel like I got 50% of whatever we were learning. Um, I was, like, crying in his office one day, like, oh, I'm just <laughs> never going to understand anything. I'm never going to get into grad school. I'm horrible. And he's just like, it's like this little like French white man and he's just like no uh no he was Italian though he was Italian he was like tiny and he was just like no 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 he was like you are you're smart you can do this like and he just sat there and just tried to say as many affirming things as he could and I'm just like uh Like, and I don't even know if I believed him, but like, I don't know. He believed it. So somehow I made it through. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, I mean, you graduated with your PhD on Thursday, so it yeah. worked. Yeah, <laughs> it sure did. Something, something worked. Um, and so you have also, I have notes here, like an outreach program mm-hmm. for kids. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. My program's called Performing Physics. It is exactly that. I'm trying to get some cool combination of physics and performance for kids. It's it's, The first one was kind of teaching people about electricity and magnetism. That's the kind of physics content. But this time I'm teaching people about sound, motion, and force because it's just more obviously integrated into performance. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, we do like yoga in the morning and we start off with like music. There's I get the, I let them pick a playlist of like their popular songs that we listen to every day. And we did yoga. Activities for the program include physics demonstrations and how to embody them, like learning about center of balance and center of mass. Simone has the kids practice distribution of force by doing finger lifts. Remember the iconic sleepover game, light as a feather, stiff as a board physics. The kids also do an activity about resonance and how sound travels through different mediums. And all the time, Simone is showing how performance and physics are integrated. It was really fun. What, how did you, do you know these kids? How did you get the word out about this? Oh yeah, I worked with, okay, so people who I used to live with out here, I met actually in grad school, went back to their hometown and started a, um, a community center. Mm. They are from Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh area. It's called Community Forge. And with that, they started an education nonprofit called Pittsburgh Learning Commons. And um, that's who I did this camp with. And I'll do it again with them. Um, But their community, where they're located in the neighborhood in Pittsburgh that they're in is like predominantly black. And it's kind of one of these communities that are low income and thus are being gentrified. And so they were able to get this space because they were trying to make it into this co-op community space that was going to give back to the community rather than like throw up some condos and bring in a whole bunch of people who aren't from here because the people here can't afford them. Right. Um, And so they ended up getting this, it's like a whole school and they got it for dirt cheap. Like it was pretty (laughs) like steel. It's cheaper than any house you can get in Boulder. (laughs) They got it for Um, and so it was, yeah, it was awesome. And so they've been doing like kind of their own, um, just friends going there and fixing up the place and like doing a lot of like improvements by themselves and then trying to get cheap payments to do other things that need to, you know, update the building just to like pass the codes and Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's a community that I know because I know the people who have started it, but the people in the community I met through just being in the space. And like, yeah, so they do a lot of recruiting for programs, but they brought us in to run the things that we are running. But they know all the kids more personally than I do. Now I know a bunch of them from being there so often for the last year. But um, yeah, that's how I kind of got into the community out there. And I'm hoping I can do it with other places, but I'm definitely like... I will always go do programming there for them because they're, yeah. This takes place in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a cool place. And so, like, what is, we've kind of touched on it a little bit about how, like, get a little bit burned out with physics mm-hmm. and you're, you said you wanted to take some time off after getting your mm-hmm. degree. So is that still the plan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I am tired. I'm so tired. I didn't, 
I used the term burnout today to describe how I feel because I didn't want to believe that I had gotten myself to that point. But like, my energy is gone. Mm -hmm. And I keep trying to figure out where it's went. I'm like, where are you? I just, yeah, I had to come to the realization that I have been on go for 10 years straight of school, which unlike a job, which is like nine to five and you have your nights and weekends has been just 100% of my time doing things like, and I need to stop. I just need a break. Mm -hmm. I need to sit down and do hobbies. I don't know if you saw my little guitar in here. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, my roommate plays all the string instruments and like, well, not all of them, but he plays guitar and bass and stuff. And so he was teaching me a little bit of that. And I got really excited. I was showing my mom how I learned one of my favorite Summer Walker songs, like <laughs> in a real basic beginner version of it. And, uh, yeah, I'm also working on my EP, which my friend created, and it's hilarious. I have a pretty, I have a number one banger on it already. Oh, nice. I'm ready. I'm ready for <laughs> it to release. My friend's um, boyfriend, um, I went to go visit them, and he helped me uh, and, and pushed me to get a verse on this one song and also wrote the chorus for it. And I was like, oh, man, this is it. That's um, awesome. So it's That's fun. Exciting. It's just like super play play. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to like put this on like SoundCloud, but like <laughs> just so I can have this thing that I made and it's like mine and I could be like, hey, remember that time I made an EP for but like, you know, yeah, it'll be fun. I mean, why not? <laughs> why not? Right. <laughs> I want to do things like this. Like I'm, I got back into fiction, like reading fiction, which I forgot was a thing that mm -hmm. I used to enjoy before I had to read for like my job. <laughs> Oh, and I'm like, oh, books, the magic of, of escaping into a book. Like, I forgot about that. It's like these types of things. I just want to do things that make me happy all the time mm -hmm. for like a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and then like go back to like Simone tries to save the world. <laughs> I think you deserve it. I think so. <laughs> I keep trying to tell myself that you deserve it. You know? Yeah. It's so hard like as right now I feel like that grind till you die mentality mm -hmm. is just like being preached and it's like no like it's a <laughs> that's one not good for your mental health and like be it's it's okay to like take some time like right. <laughs> we have to rest like we're not robots and there's nothing wrong with taking a break. Like, you're not There's all nothing. of a sudden a failure if you lose the hustle for a little bit. Like, right. it's okay. Right. It's okay. And I... So I took this one class at CU called Black Women and Happiness, and it's taught by Bianca Williams, who's now at grad, uh, CUNY Grad Center in New York. Mm. She's dope. I am, like, like an academic idol, for sure. <laughs> um, but a lot of that class opened my eyes to, like... You know, what? what is happiness to me? Is happiness grinding and doing all these things? I'm like, no, like, I want to enjoy life. Like, I want to have time to have a relationship, which I haven't had for five years in grad school. <laughs> like, I'd like to spend time with my friends and, like, actually talk to them instead of being stressed that they're calling me because I should be doing 300 other things. Like, I want to have a life. Mm -hmm. like a whole life I want to be able to spend time doing things for myself like I need to be doing physical therapy every day because my knee is still messed up from like having knee surgery and I just am ignoring the fact that I can't walk <laughs> upstairs normally regularly like yet and so yeah it's like I started realizing that I need to really decide for myself what a happy life looks like and what a healthy life looks like and I don't think it's the way that I've been living it and so it's like, I feel like I need a hard reset. Like, mm -hmm. and so people are always so shocked because I, you know, I do this academic thing pretty well. Like, I think I've climbed that ladder pretty nicely. And people are all, I mean, I've gone to, to give all these talks because people want to come out and hear about my work. And yeah. it's still mind boggling to me that anyone cares about anything I've produced. <laughs> but like, it's nice, I guess. And so... I feel like I know I can do that well. Like, I know I can do these things. I can get there. I can be someone who is successful in academia. But, like, how do I be someone who's, like, successful and happy mm -hmm. and, like, 
for myself, right? Like how, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to do this for the sake of academia and like pushing other things. I mean, my original title for my dissertation that I thought of was, um, what was it? Existence as resistance. Mm. (laughs) And I'm like, I just, after this black women in happiness class, when I was really trying to figure out like, what does that mean for me to be happy? I'm like, oh, like, sometimes, like, me just be, like, me deciding that I'm going to say no to all of these academic opportunities in my path because I need to sit down at my grandma's house for free (laughs) and, like, not worry about anything just for a minute, like, is my own personal resistance. Like, I think that's fair enough. Like, being a black woman that's healthy, like, that's mm-hmm. resisting the system, too. Like, being mm-hmm. a black woman that's healthy and happy and, like, doing what she wants, like, that's great. And then I can go be, like, the badass black woman that I also am that many of us are. Like, but I just see from my mom and from my aunts and from all of these people who are around me, like, black women just work, 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 work. I mean, really, like, women of color is not even just us. Like, yeah. work till you can't anymore. And, like... We had to, right? We had to at a point. But, like, my family made it so I don't have to. (laughs) You know, like, literally, you did all that work for what? For me to go break my back doing it too? No. Like, you did that work so I could take a rest and, like, (laughs) not have to do that. And so I think we're trying to get through this generational trauma and this generational ideology of, like, having to work, 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 work to be as good as the other people, be as good as white folks who are or trying to further the race, if you will, yeah. or whatever that means. <laughs> you know, but, like, I'm like, no, like, the way that we become better people is by being human. And white people are allowed to be human. They're allowed to be, like crying they're allowed to choose if they want to be work 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 or if they want to chill or like these white dudes who are like i just stumbled into a billion dollars you know like i they're allowed to be whimsical you know i'm like it's quirky right (laughs) it's quirky it's fun but like you know i you know i know that it's not the same for me and other people might perceive like my decision to slow down as something different than they might perceive johnny's but like you know so what yeah I'll be okay either way, and I'm sure of that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, if people of color aren't always working, they're lazy. Right. It's like, go fuck yourself. You don't know what I've done to get here. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, also, just as women, we're so trained to be the givers. We give of ourselves. We give our time. We give our energy. And we don't take any of that time Mm -hmm. to ourselves. And we just, we deserve it. Yeah, I'm trying. It's hard. It's hard to do. It's also hard to stop once you've been going for so long. <laughs> it's so hard. And, like, saying no is so hard to me, which is what I have to do. I had said no two times today. Two hard no's. <laughs> I was very proud of myself. Yeah. No, they're small steps, but they are part of a bigger, grander picture. Yeah. So what is... After you take the gap year, what is the plan after that? What do you want to do with your degree? I'm still trying to figure it out, honestly. That's what I hope to come to a conclusion for during the gap year. (laughs) I mean, I'm mostly... I set myself up pretty well to just continue on this academic path and do professor or postdoc type thing next. And... (laughs) That still seems interesting to me. I don't think I want to go tenure track. I think tenure is flawed and it's like ridiculous. And many times women and people of color don't get it. And it's also like another uphill battle of game. Like it's like continuing the uphill battle that I had started in grad school or in Mm -hmm. undergrad. And I'm like, I'm done with that. Like academia, I'm trying to change academia. Like, and I don't like the current structure of it. And so... I've been trying to figure out how to get into positions to do that and in what ways I can do that. Um, And I have a lot of, I feel like I have a lot of ways that I want to change things. And I've been trying to figure out what is the position that's going to help me do that. Um, And I think there's many. So it's like, what is the position I want to go for next? Like, do I want to try and be an admin somewhere? Am Am I trying to get into administration and be like a dean or a provost, which is usually hard to do if you're not a professor? Mm hmm. But when you're, we're talking about diversity stuff, like, I might be able to fit myself in there somewhere. 
Um, but then there's, um, yeah, like outreach coordinating, like working with this program I've been doing. If I just want to figure out how to keep doing that, like I could start my own nonprofit or something where I'm just doing that. I thought of doing, doing just performing physics and seeing how that worked out. Um, I thought about just getting jobs with the physics um, national organizations like APS, American Physical Society. They mm-hmm. have AIP, AAAS, AAAS. They have all of them. They're all in D.C. <laughs> all the acronyms. All the acronyms. <laughs> They're all there. And so it's a lot of those. Those are the places where I feel like you can make broader changes on the field rather than just in a classroom of your own. But I also am interested in that. Like, how can I make a physics classroom that's so far from the traditional classroom that like people are like, what is this? Yeah. Like, I want to teach what I consider physics, which is very different <laughs> than I think what would be required in their curriculum. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. TVD. A big thank you to Simone for chatting with me, and thank you to Brittany for introducing us. You can follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Chingona Podcast. If you or someone you know wants to be featured in an episode, email me at chingonapodcast at gmail.com. I'll link all the music in the show notes. And as always, thank you to my uncle Raul Garza Jr. for writing and performing the theme song. Stay tuned for a preview of the next episode, and I'll talk to y'all soon. Next time on Chingona. Mom, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Nora. I am an educator, I'll say it best. We came from a family where our parents believed in discipline, so um, if we got in trouble, we would get whooped. And I, I remember when I was um, at that age thinking, I am not going to do that. That's not going to be my life. I don't want my husband to come sit down and I'm going to serve him everything because that's how I was. Mm-hmm. It was weird. It was little spurts of... We really didn't become boyfriend and girlfriend, but we would periodically chat here and there. So it took a little while. It wasn't just like, boom. But I knew he was the one I wanted to talk to and be friends with and hang out with for a long time. We were high school sweethearts, so I guess from there it went. (laughs) Life began. (laughs) I think I didn't know any better. I didn't, he says, you didn't think that you would get pregnant? I mean, how did you not think that? I said, I don't know. I just didn't think about it. And I would tell him before we even got pregnant, I want to have two kids only. I want a boy and a girl. I want my boy to come first so he can take care of her when she's, um, you know, when she's little. <laughs> and a dog in a house. I mean, that was like the, the dream of in my mind after all of that. In my mind, I said, you know what my career should be? I want to be a teacher. I remember a few of my students, not everybody, but I do recall the ones that, you know, became important to me. We were busy. I I tell you that sometimes. I don't know how, I don't remember, like even our own relationship from when we were, we had Aaron and you to where we are now. Our relationship, how we even interacted as a couple because our lives revolved around you guys and the things that we did with you guys. Not because we had to, but because that's just how we wanted it. That's how it was. And everything we did, we didn't even contemplate us. It was, you know, you guys. I definitely don't want to do this into my 60s because I already feel myself losing that love for it. And I feel like once you lose the love for it, you're not going to be an effective teacher. You're just going to be like everybody else and you're going to go through the motions and you're not going to care. You're just going to go for the paycheck and then leave. And your students are going to matter. I don't want to get to that point. In your 52 years, what, what stands out the most? What's been the most memorable? What are you most proud of? More family. <laughs>